Welcome to the Students of the Game podcast, hosted by Matthew DeMarty. Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the bat rails in your mouth. Come on. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey. Bring them out, bring them out. Bring them out, bring them out. Today's episode is hosted by yours truly, Matthew DeMarty. And today we have our co-founder, Jonathan DeMarty. He is back. His independent ball season's done. He's here to talk about it. Hopefully some of you guys can learn from his experiences this past year. Without further ado, welcome back, Jonathan. Matthew, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on this end of the podcast, but I'm really excited what kind of, to see what kind of ideas we can stir and the different types of things that we could talk about today. Of course, uh, of course, you're uh, your own entity. Very excited to have you on the podcast for it. But uh, all right, let's get right into it. So Jonathan this uh, summer played for the normal Corn Belters for most of the summer. He ended up finishing tied for sixth in the league in appearances, appearing 41 times, throwing 53 and a third innings. He had a 2.87 ERA with 58 punches. And then when it seemed like his season was going to end in the Frontier League, Jonathan was fortunate enough to get picked up by the York Revolution of the Atlantic League. For those of you who don't know, the Atlantic League is the highest level of independent baseball. It's littered with former major leaguers where Jonathan had five appearances, he threw five innings, he had five punches, and he had a 3-6. So uh, what was that transition like, going from the Frontier League, which is a lot of younger dudes, to the Atlantic League, where pretty much everyone had made a double-A, triple-A, and a ton of big leaguers? Um, I mean, there were definitely some similarities and some differences that I noticed between the different leagues, but uh, one way I've described it to a few people so far is it almost felt like the jump from college um, and playing Division One baseball to the Frontier League, I almost felt like it was a whole nother jump, like similar, or a whole nother step above where we were going from the Frontier League to the Atlantic League. Um, some of the similarities I noticed were that the need to throw a first pitch strike was very, very evident no matter where you are in baseball. That never that is something that never changes, getting ahead and staying ahead because as a pitcher, almost always when you throw a first pitch strike, it didn't matter where I was, I felt as if I was in the driver's seat and I'm sure that percentages can say the same thing, um, that there was more success when you throw a first pitch strike versus falling behind. Um, was this more eminent in the Atlantic League than the Frontier League? or I don't, I don't think the sample size in the Atlantic League for me was big enough, but I definitely noticed it watching from a distance and with myself. Um, the, the, the one outing I had where I gave up a few runs in the, in the Atlantic League, I was, in, I was consistently in and out of the strike zone. I wasn't going just 3-0 and walking guys, but I did walk, I think, three guys. And um, it was ball strike, ball strike, kind of that pattern. But I, I would bet if you go back and look, almost every single guy was a first pitch, was a first pitch ball. And then you find yourself in some trouble and down two runs, not even giving up a hit. So Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, let's talk about the Atlantic League because that's something I don't think a lot of people realize how cool the Atlantic League is and how high the level of talent is. Because you hear a ton of people say like, "Oh yeah, after college I'll go play independent ball," and most of them don't realize the uh, big four leagues how good they are. And the Frontier League is kind of where people like you, right out of college, it's where a lot of them get their opportunity. It's a lot of younger guys, but the Atlantic League is completely different and it's run like a double or triple A operation with a boatload of talent. What were some of the eye-opening things that you experienced there and things that you noticed that 
clearly showed how prestigious the league was. Um, well, I mean, I joined, I guess it was game 100, 110, somewhere around there. And for me, from an outsider coming in, for all I could have known, these guys were in the heart of their season or it was game one of the year with the amount of energy that they were able to bring to the field every day. Now, being in the clubhouse with them, I could see that maybe physically they did not necessarily feel that way. <laughs> A lot of guys were nursing injuries. Um, you could tell they've had some very long careers. But... Um, I think it goes hand in hand with what I said before, how it was a step up from the Frontier League. You just see consistently better decisions being made and, and, and more consistency consistency in terms of approach. Hit, hitters on my team, I think the, I think York led the league in most hitting categories. Hitting on my team, uh, um, the lack of pitches that are chased, guys who kind of seem like they stick to their plan. And the same thing goes with pitchers, guys sticking to their plan. I know for me, one, one, thing, one thing that I struggled with and my manager in normal, Billy Horn, was something, something he tried to help me out with was making sure that I rely on my fastball. Uh, my, my fastball had a lot of, I, I saw a lot of positive results when I used my fastball more often than not. And if, if there were times where maybe it was questionable that I want to throw my changeup or my, or, or, or my slider, um, if, if there were times where that was questionable, a lot of the time that's when I found myself giving up an end of the bat. Yeah, I executed a good pitch, but an end of the bat blue pit or something or something like that. So what I, what I noticed in the Atlantic League is a lot of guys stick to their approach. Pitchers, they stick to their strengths and their weaknesses. If, if, if you're a lefty who likes to throw the ball away from power, away from contact, keep the balls off the plate and try to get guys to bend and chase and then start mixing in your off speed, they stuck to that plan. If you're more of a power arm and you like to like to live by fastballs inside and then throwing off of that guy stuck to it and again like I said said before the outings that I noticed myself getting into trouble was kind of when you get into this when you get into this rhythm where you're not really sticking to your game plan as much and you're kind of just out there in the moment throwing and not really having a plan um, when, when, when I was able to execute fastballs inside is when I saw the most success for myself. And then when I found myself multiple hitters in a row, having to start with the fastball away, it was like, oh no, like I'm, I, I'm not sticking to my strengths. I'm not throwing the ball where I know that I'm going to have success under someone's hands. And I'm almost just trying to, just trying to thumb the ball in there for a first pitch strike rather than sticking with my, sticking with what works for me and throwing a fastball as hard as I possibly can under someone's hands. It's, uh, I brought some really interesting points up there uh, that I want to go back and touch upon. So you said about talking about sticking to your game plan. In the Frontier League, in the Atlantic League, do you guy, did you have any sort of scouting report on the hitters going in? Um, I think there was more of a scouting report in the Frontier League um, from the pitchers that we would have in the stands charting and guys who had just been around the league for a while. Atlantic League, it seemed like more of this veteran leadership where it was like word of mouth. Um, if you're not in the bullpen talking to veteran pitchers or pitchers who know the guys and the other opposing hitters in the league, if you're not trying to get to know them and you're not watching on your own and trying to figure out how you're going to attack them, then you're kind of just wasting time sitting there waiting for your turn and you're, you're, you're missing out. Um, uh, I I didn't look at any scouting reports for our team for the opposing hitters mm -hmm. in the in the Atlantic League. I pretty much just asked the guys in the bullpen because if you think mm -hmm. about it, if I go in for one inning, I'm only going to face hopefully a handful of batters. Hopefully, yeah. I can throughout the course of a game or throughout the course of a series talk with guys and understand how I'm going to approach each hitter. Mm -hmm. Plus myself watching them. And for me, like I said before, my strength is starting ahead, 
in, on the inside half of the plate, whether that's for a lefty or righty, and then mixing up my changeup and my sinker later in the count. Mm-hmm. So do you think, I guess this is one thing where analytics maybe can become too much, is you can try and you can have scouting reports and hitters know everything they do well, everything they don't do well, but it may not, may not necessarily reflect what a pitcher's arsenal has to offer and play to their strengths. It may Their weaknesses might play to the pitcher's weaknesses, and then you're trying to beat someone with your own weaknesses, which can be difficult. Do you feel mm-hmm. like being in a league where you don't have access to all this information, so you kind of just have to base your game plan on feel? Feel the lineup out, talk to different guys, learn from what they have. Do you think it's just better to say, you know, I'm really good at pounding fastballs inside and later in the count, mixing in my changeup, mixing in my turbo sinker? Am I better off just sticking to my strengths rather than, well, this guy doesn't do well with sliders. I have a cutter slider that maybe isn't my best pitch, so why would I throw that when I know I can just go after him with this fastball? Do you think just sticking to your strengths is one of the things that lets you be super successful this year? Yes, 100% sticking to your sticking to your strengths, I think is what is what leads to success and trusting yourself. I mean, it would be great to know more hitter tendencies and have the access that major league pitchers have mm-hmm. um, versus what we had, but at the end of the day, I don't know how much it would be it would be nice to know those things, but I don't mm-hmm. know how much they would change my game plan. If I'm out there in a game and I've faced a handful of hitters and I'm in a jam and I'm only throwing fastball changeup and I'm saying changeup because changeup is my best pitch and I haven't shown cutter or slider anymore, I don't care whether or not it says this guy crushes or uh, sorry, this guy uh, struggles with slider or not. Mm-hmm. I still need to show it because I need to show a third pitch just to add that. Instead of ha- having a batter be 50-50 on their guess, I need to be able to show something mm-hmm. else. So in that sense, I'm just going to trust my strengths more and do what I think works for me with a combination of what I what swings I've seen from the batter. But honestly, the metric that helps out, I think, the most that I've noticed, and in, in, I think when you're younger, it's kind of more frowned upon to turn around and look at the radar gun when you're pitching. But mm-hmm. at this level, it's nice to know if I'm th- topping out at – 94 95 on the day and sitting it and sitting 92 to 93 versus sitting 89 to 91 topping mm-hmm. out at 92 or 93 on the day for me that's something that's helpful to know because i know with two strikes maybe i'm going to lean more towards an off uh, an off speed pitch or trying to place a sinker under the batter's hand rather than trying to elevate a fastball and throw it by someone because mm-hmm. i don't want to miss with 90 91 where i'm trying to elevate the letters and throw it right down the middle so Having that, that metric to me was honestly the most helpful. And if there was one thing that I could ask for off the top of my head right now, I would probably want to know Velo over mm-hmm. hitter ten- hitter's tendencies and everything and just trust myself and my approach and what I saw observing mm-hmm. the hitter for, from the rest of the game. And in York, it was really interesting. Um, I've never seen this before. We had like a massive digital uh, 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 radar gun that was mm-hmm. behind home plate above the second deck, but it was it was huge numbers i mean the pitcher it's inevitable you see almost every single pitch um unless you don't pick your head up at all you you almost have to see every single pitch so that was something that was helpful to me and luckily my velocity i think a little help of adrenaline at the end of the year was um pretty good when i was pitching at york so it was it was all positive signs to see so i didn't have any days where i was maybe pitching under where i normally throw and maybe having to change my approach but that is something that i believe is helpful to know because i had that happen times in the frontier league and you would think that maybe i would start to mix in more off-speed stuff but having that sinker in 
my arsenal, that mm-hmm. was actually the pitch that I went went to when my velocity wasn't um, at its at, at a point where I would like it. Wow, that's a that's a really good answer. You know, across baseball a lot. I'm just gonna bring up uh, an example. Uh, Jared DePito, the Mariners general manager. You know, he was asked. Jared DePito was either him or Billy Epler, the Angels general manager, was asked about fastball velocity and how they use it. And they were like, well, fastball velocity is the best scouting tool we have. It's the best tool we have to evaluate and how we project players. It's the most important thing when looking at a pitcher. And I find it really interesting that in-game, the thing that you cared about most is your velocity because it completely dictates how you pitch. Which, I mean, I don't blame you. There's a vast difference between if you're running it up to 95, 96 on a given day or you're only sitting at 92, 93. It depends how you want to throw. There's a huge difference between those velocities, especially at this level where 95, 96, you know, you're going to miss a ton of bats at that. 92, 93 isn't, isn't very special. It's, it's something everyone sees. So let's talk about velocity in a different aspect in that for those of you who don't know, uh, Jonathan's history. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we led to talking about students of the game. Both of us had substantial injury histories. Jonathan had a boatload of surgeries at Richmond. Um, and now he's much better than he ever was. He's throwing harder than he ever has, and he's overcome all these injuries to be completely healthy when he thought he was never going to be able to pitch again only a few years ago. So this was your first full season in professional baseball. And you threw a ton. You were one of the most used relievers in all of independent ball. Using, was it your trainer, the workouts you got from Andrew Lissy? Was it on your regimen? How did you, how were you able to stay healthy for the entire season? And you were able to manage your velocity. It went up at times, your velocity went down at times, but you were able to manage it for the entire time and do a really good job of managing your workload and staying healthy. So, what was that like over the course of 100-plus games for you? Um, I'd say some of the most, the few most important thing words that came into mind when you asked me that question are adrenaline, um, routine, program, the programs from Andrew, from, from Andrew and the, uh, the, the, how my lifts would change every month. Um, did I say nutrition? You didn't say nutrition. nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one more, hopefully, that can come to my mind. But those are things that played a big role in all of that. Um, I think I, I think some of the other factors that went into um, being able to compete at a high level throughout the entire season were, um, I think, the way that I've changed my, 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 my throwing motion, my delivery over the last few years, uh, stopping throwing, not throwing for a while after my last surgery, becoming an infielder, shortening up my arm slot, and then translating that to pitching and learning to throw with conviction not behind my body but in front of my body and out in front those were physical things within my throwing motion I think that I've focused on that have helped me be able to uh, uh, sustain health throughout a whole season um, I think my I think the strength I, I the hats go off to Andrew um, the, the the training that he has given me over the last eight months nine months ten months whatever however long it's been um, I think it's been completely game-changing. I'm not the most athletic mover, but the improvements that I've noticed in my body over uh, ever since January of this year and working with Andrew are, um, they're insane. And I know I take a long time to get myself ready, but surprisingly, if I, if my name is called, I never had an issue with being ready in less than, I'd say, a few minutes. Um, and I think that's all thanks to the preparation, the movement screenings, um, the movement programming, the strength programming 
from Andrew and making sure that I was, was able to maintain necessary strength in all aspects of my body throughout the long season. And also learning at times that less is more. You really have to listen to your body more than anything. Just because you're sore and you think it's like a day where you need to stretch it out and long toss, because you need a long toss to maintain arm strength. No, 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 you have to listen to your body and know what days are the days where you're just gonna play catch as light as possible to 60, 75, 90 feet and have that be your 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 amount of throwing and, and, and even lifting for the day. And then you go and you run your sprints and that be it. And it might feel like you didn't put the work in that you needed for that day, but that reflects working smart. So I know that was uh, not the most organized answer, but there are a lot of little aspects that are a lot of little components that went into lasting a whole season. You could show anybody a side-by-side -side image of myself throwing pre all these surgeries and now post in professional baseball. And it's two completely different um, two completely different pitchers. So I think mm -hmm. that's the biggest base right there, why I'm able to stay healthy. But then, like I said, there's strength, sleep, nutrition, mm -hmm. movement, um, routine, knowing when to rest and not do too much more. So many little mm -hmm. components that go into it. Yeah. So. I think one of the things that I that I liked most about that answer <clears throat> is you said work smarter, not harder, which is something that you and I probably have had to learn the hard way. You and I have had our periods where we go to the gym together and we stay there for two and a half hours until we can't move. And just because we needed to feel like we were working hard, where now you're working smarter than you ever have. You're in and out of the weight room and your training sessions in an hour 15, hour 30, which includes an extensive warm-up. Now, if I need to be, it'll be an hour, hour yeah. 15. Yeah. But I, I still move pretty slowly. And yeah, but you, yeah, but <laughs> instead of going in there and warming up for a half hour and lifting for two hours, it, your warm-up can get... Your warm-up can take longer than your actual lifts do now because you put so much time into that. Yeah, I mean, like, like from what I've learned with Andrew, you, it, what, what's the point of getting strong if you don't move correctly? Mm -hmm. So focus on moving correctly and moving as optimal to your frame and your body and your athleticism that you can. And then once you build that base, that's when you start. That's when you start building strength through it. So that's why mm -hmm. I am so. My, my, my movement and my warm-up routine can sometimes be so tedious and so monotonous but, monotonous, but I want to make sure that I feel like I am moving as correctly as I possibly can for that day mm -hmm. before I start throwing a baseball, before I start trying to strengthen my body. So, Is that what you feel kind of separates Eric Cressy's model of training athletes? Because that's Andrew's model is kind of – he obviously had an internship with Cressy. He learned under him. Is that – what you think kind of makes the Cressy model superior is it's not a short term, you know, we're going to get you in here and you're going to gain 20 pounds quickly. It's we're going to teach you how to move properly and we're going to increase the load as you go. And that's why I feel like the guys they train, you don't see all of a sudden that they have these giant turnarounds, but long in the long term, you look at the process, they continually get better. Guys like Max Scherzer, Coy Kluber, someone like Steve Ciszek, who's having an unbelievable year, who's been training there forever. Do you think that that's what makes that model so sustainable and successful? Um, yes, but also the ownership and the accountability and the attention to detail that these strength coaches instill in their clients and themselves I think that is a big part of it because if you don't put a a huge if you don't put a very big focus on those components and you have kids and you have or you have players that maybe 
um, are skipping reps or skipping sets or not doing the movements correctly and you don't instill that own, that that attention to detail and make sure that every single necessary muscle that they want firing for that specific movement, if you're not paying attention to that, then you're not really getting the full benefit from the exercise. So I think it starts with those few components that it's that Cressy, I guess, mm-hmm. employees, interns, from what I've learned and what I've seen, would they... How, how they teach, and then yes, of course, in my opinion, their their style of, of strength training is is the best for a baseball player. Now, I also haven't been exposed to enough other styles, but the differences that I've seen in my body over the last eight months and sustaining high levels of velocity that I did throughout the season, and I've noticed myself lose strength, way starting to lose strength. I noticed it both physically looking in the mirror and how I feel way earlier in the season than when I started to notice it at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, like I said, didn't sustain velocity, didn't sustain full levels of strength, and the, my, and didn't, my body didn't feel the way it felt in April that it felt in, say, August. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt great way longer than it ever had at any point in my mm-hmm. younger playing career days. So um, I, I think that it comes, that th- those results come directly from this new style of strength training that I've taken. But yes, it's their it's their structure of always foam roll and foam roll the cross ball and all that first. Then comes your your, uh, your your the start of your warm up, and then comes your dynamic warm up, and then comes your lift, and then your recovery where you do the movements again, the most important movements from your warm up for the day, and then you roll out again. And then I don't know if this is in some as, in as many of Eric Cressy's specific style that it was in Andrew's, but then Andrew has his PRI component both after the foam roll and before the warm-up, and then with the recovery. And for me, that with Andrew, the, P, the P, PRI stands for, I believe, Postural Rest, Restoration Institute. Yeah. And I know that it is a combination of holding different positions, extending through those positions, and gaining more, I guess, range of motion while you are properly inhaling and exhaling through these position holdings. And the differences in your that you're, you feel in your body after just in your throughout your just throughout like your breathing and then throughout whatever that specific position is hitting you notice how much further you can kind of extend after it's a great precursor to your exercise for the day and again it's very it can be tedious can be very monotonous but it's something that i think is very unique mm-hmm. to this style of strength training and delivered benefits throughout this year and hopefully in the future mm-hmm. and i think it's something that more people should start to look into Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really good points in there. It makes me think of something that we talk about a lot, that being really good at anything, and in this case just baseball, being really good at baseball is an all-the-time thing and that you have to do a lot of things right to sustain your skill level, sustain your level of health, sustain your movement quality. So I think that was a really good answer. Um, I yeah, wanna... I mean, well, one other thing also – Yes, that is one way to do it. But also remember, we're, we're talking about, we started this podcast with talking about my experience in the Atlantic League. I'm playing with all these guys who played in the majors, played in mm-hmm. AAA. I mean, we had a 40-year-old from the Dominican Republic who was throwing in the, I believe he was, I only saw him pitch once because he uh, pulled his hamstring towards the end. But um, I'm pretty sure he's low to mid-90s. He's 40 mm-hmm. years old and playing professional baseball for over 20 years and makes a lot of money doing it every year because he plays his season in the United States and then goes and plays um, overseas back in, in, in South America and different Latin countries. Um, 
But he's not exposed to Eric Cressy's style of strength training, and he's mm-hmm. been healthy for all these years. And all these major leaguers and AAA guys and AA guys that I had the that I was fortunate enough to play with, the ones who are not exposed to this style of training, they might just they might also be freak athletes. There mm-hmm. might be another style of training that's helping them out, keeping them healthy, getting keeping them strong, and helping them get better. This is just one. I'm not trying to put anybody else down. I want to say that there are other ways. Mm-hmm. That I'm not identifying right now, but we are simply talking about how helpful the mm-hmm. Cressy, Cressy style of strength yep. training is. So uh, that's a really good point. Um, let's uh, let's switch it up a little bit and talk. Let's talk a little bit more about your experience in the Atlantic League. Um, for some people who are going on a similar path that Jonathan is, where you didn't get drafted, you didn't get picked up out of college, and you believe that you're better than the chance than the cards you were dealt, whether it was because you had injuries, you were overlooked, or whatever it may be. Going to the Frontier League, you know, having a master's degree from the University of Richmond can be pretty hard to pass up on the money you can make immediately, but you decide to play this. How fulfilling is it to make it to the Atlantic League now? I don't know if fulfilling is the best word. Yeah, but I would say that. Five innings isn't really... Doesn't really well, maybe, maybe not fulfilling, but like ju- it justifies your decision that you got to play this quality of baseball and you are this close to affiliated ball and like your decision to this. Because playing independent ball is by no means a glorious thing. There's a lot of ups and downs that come to it, mm-hmm. but making it to the Atlantic League can justify a lot of those decisions. Yeah, I mean, just the way that we were treated on uh, on all levels from uh, from meal spreads, um, obviously money, um, just the quality of setup, um, fans, and so on so many levels that all baseball players can think of and relate to being uh, in this league was something that I had I had never I almost felt like a big leaguer the way how cool how how amazing that we were tra- tra- treated throughout my time here um and the fulfilling part I wouldn't I don't know it's hard I don't know what word to use to describe it I mean I was very happy last year when the year ended that I made it through an entire college season healthy pitching then in, then more than half of a professional <clears throat> season in the Frontier League and then I was invited to a postseason workout at the Diamondbacks last year so just to even be invited to something like that um, that's very fulfilling to know that I was able to accomplish that when I never thought I would pitch again and then this year to pitch through an entire um, an entire season and then go and finish two weeks in another season where we were like a game away from the playoffs with York, mm-hmm. um, which would have been another two weeks tacked on to this. So that's more of the fulfilling part is making it through healthy. And then the next the, 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 the next part that is, is a great accomplishment for me is I, I was fortunate enough to have success in both leagues. So that's another one where it's like this really helps me justify why just with myself, not mm-hmm. really worried about what other people think about that but with myself I kind of need to be able to tell myself that hey this was worth it Mm -hmm. or you made the right decision so just a team in a league this prestigious wanting you and knowing in a way like how close I am to like fulfilling my dreams um, because guys get picked up out of this league and in some ways it can be a very very fast track to Double A, Triple A, the major leagues, whatever it is. What is the statistic of how many people in the league play in the majors? Oh, I have no idea. 40, I think it was around forty percent. Oh, I think that's forty percent of players in the league come okay. from major league uh, baseball. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about the percentage of guys who get signed that actually make okay. it. I wish that would be something interesting to know. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does. It is a great accomplishment to then also be invited back for next year and also uh, that and then having an opportunity to play in the 2020 Olympics with Team Israel being picked for that. And mm-hmm. then if I'm still in a few years from now playing <laughs> baseball, the World Baseball Classic in 2021, um, that I, I just, again, another opportunity that I'm so fortunate to have mm-hmm. and, and just I feel it feels if it, it, it is a very, very... I don't know the word, um, but I don't want to keep saying accomplishment, but I, yeah, I do feel like I've fulfilled a task mm-hmm. of mine in some ways, yeah. but still more to go. Definitely. So just to touch on something that Jonathan said, um, relate this back to the entire purpose of Students of the Game is we started this to kind of share our journey and everything that we've learned through our baseball lives. We feel like we've lived very unique baseball lives and we've been blessed to see a lot of really intelligent people's viewpoints and learn from them and learn a lot of things through our own personal research that we felt like we were in a position where we could help people learn about baseball while also sharing our journey and meeting some really cool people along the way. Um, a really cool thing in Jonathan's journey that's happened is he was selected for to play with Team Israel in the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. How much are you looking forward to that experience that you that your baseball career has led to you potentially being an Olympic athlete and being able to go play the game you love in Tokyo? Like how how cool is that? It is say? pretty amazing. I mean, the whole process has been crazy trying to become a dual citizen in Israel and everything. But yeah, I mean, I just like I've looked back at so many pictures and little video clips that I can find from Israel and the World Baseball Classic last last year, two years ago, year and a half ago now, yeah. where they made, uh, I think they finished top five or six, mm-hmm. they automatically qualify for the next World Baseball Classic. So the only way I can really get a taste of it is to do whatever, do the research that I've done to, to see kind of the path that these guys took. And it seemed like a great group of guys. It seemed like it was an absolute blast to be a part of. And my sister actually studied abroad in Tel Aviv, Israel, and a part of this process in becoming a citizen so I can play on the team is taking a trip to Tel Aviv for 10 days um, a month from now. So just talking to her, talking talking about the culture there, how the people are, how, what, what to expect and not to expect. We get to stay five minutes from the beach. Um, it's going to be something that's really cool to be a part of. And hey, it gives me an excuse to continue playing baseball for yep. a few more years, which I, after last year, I told myself two seasons in independent ball and we'll... Uh, and then we'll have to reevaluate from there, and it might be time to move on. But having an opportunity to play in the Olympics is something I will never turn down. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. very excited for it. And then again, another point, this is not related to that, that I wanted to touch on that you just, that you just mentioned. You said something about um, like why we started Students of the Game and everything. But um, this, this whole kind of path that we're going through with this year, mm-hmm. I think this is something that, and of course, anybody involved in baseball can listen to. Someone who doesn't really understand independent ball can listen to. Mm-hmm. But uh, someone who, anybody who go, is going along a similar path to what I went in terms of injuries, trying to play after college and you're not, you don't hear your name called in the draft, there is another route. And this route can, um, like Matthew said, be very fulfilling in many ways, as you can see. Um, from my path over the last two years but I can't tell you how many I think part of it was us having the website and people not really knowing what we're trying to do or what we're trying to get out of it and then being an independent ball and then playing for someone as great as Billy Horn was and the reputation that he has the amount of people that reached out to me about opportunities to play with my team 
talk to Billy, try to find a way into the independent ball system. There were so many people and so many people that got no had no opportunity because there's so much talent that goes unnoticed and then trickles down from affiliated ball to independent mm-hmm. ball that people who deserve a chance to play at this high level are not able to get it. So I think this can also be a very informative podcast um, Mm -hmm. on that side of things as well. Um, I was fortunate enough where after the draft did not happen, it was a few days later where I received a few calls from independent ball teams. But a lot of it is you have to take the initiative yourself and start preparing. Prepare yourself for if your name is not called on draft day and what the next step is going to be. Because I can't tell you the amount of talent that I saw come in and out of normal and different places that I was this year. So Really, really cool though that you get to travel the world from just baseball, just being able to go to Israel and be able to go to Tokyo. So we don't have that much time left. Don't want to make this too long. So let's talk about your future in the coming months. Obviously, while you were away playing independent ball, it was kind of hard for you to contribute in terms of podcasts and articles, rightfully so, that you needed your space to play baseball and be the best player you can possibly be. But now that your offseason is here, you're going to be contributing a lot more again. You will surely see Jonathan's involvement on social media, uh, do an uptick, more content for him regarding his training, pitching, and all of that. So where do you think that you'll be this winter? Because obviously we're not in the position to have a students of the game facility or anything, but you certainly will be in a position to hopefully help pitchers around the country. Um, yeah, so last year, I'm sure you guys saw through our account, uh, my work with the Mid-Atlantic Orioles team at Tuckahoe Sports in Richmond, Virginia. I hope that I have the opportunity to work with this group of guys again. I loved working with them. I think we all learned a lot from each other and uh, saw mutual benefits. And I hope that I get the chance to go back and work with that team again. I know there's a possibility that maybe I go work with the Orioles, the Mid-Atlantic Orioles organization out of Tuckahoe. Um, that's one possibility. If not... I want to do everything that I can to stay around baseball. Last year, I called, I, I worked a corporate position, um, trained the Orioles team a few nights a week, drove Uber a little bit, did a bunch of things, and, and did my own baseball training. This year, I want to be in baseball and baseball only. I, I hope that I can see myself at a facility all day where I can do my own training, my throwing, and then working with kids, whether it's group group development, uh, uh, some strength training stuff with kids, um, some pitching lessons, group pitching lessons, helping coach teams, whatever it is. I just hope it can all be around baseball because I know that I'll then have a chance to benefit more as a person in the baseball industry and a player moving forward to next year. And then also, um, uh, I'll be able to help in, I'll be, I then will be able to help have more of an impact on this account that you where you saw my absence more so this summer. So I hope that I can share some of the developments that I'm working on in terms of youth in terms of youth training. But um, yeah, you, we'll see. I don't know what facility it will be at in the Richmond area, but hopefully I can land some kind of position um, at one of the many many prestigious facilities in that area. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well. Thanks for uh, coming on to your own podcast, Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> look forward to uh, doing many more this off season, and uh, look forward to posting many more things. All right, thanks, Matthew, and thanks for having me. That was fun, and uh, I really enjoyed doing that. All right, guys, we'll see you on the next edition of the SOTG podcast.